seated. As we do each Lord's Day, let's take now our copy of God's Word and turn together to our passage for this morning, for the week ahead, and that is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. So Acts 9, verses 32 through 35. Last Sunday was Reformation Sunday, so we took a little break from our study of the book of Acts, and we uh, turned to the book of Colossians to look at really what is the central truth of the Reformation, central truth of the Christian faith, and that is Jesus Christ. But this morning we come back here to our study of the book of Acts, and the last time we were together uh, in this book, we were looking at the ministry of encouragement that Barnabas had with Saul. Saul had been uh, run off and has come to, to Jerusalem. And as he has come to Jerusalem, he comes there with the Jews hating him to the point of death. They are plotting his death here as well. And the Christians being, being very suspicious of him, so they were alienating him. Saul was all alone. And the Lord had prepared and called Barnabas for such a time as this. And he goes to Saul to encourage him in the faith. And in that encouragement, uh, Barnabas takes Saul to meet with Peter and James. And we believe we're given a snippet of that encouragement with the two apostles in 1 Corinthians 15, where we believe that that's part of the conversation where Peter and James encouraged Saul with the gospel. And Saul, with that encouragement, continues on. They eventually change to Paul, and he shares it with the Corinthian church in that letter. So that brings us to our passage this morning. Just a, a few verses here. It's in Acts 9, verses 32 through 35. So let's pray together now for our time in God's word. Lord, just as you prepared men such as Barnabas, Peter, and James to encourage your people with your word, pointing to Christ, the wonders of the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would use me in the same way this morning. May I encourage your people, not with... with, with, uh, false, warm, and fuzzies, but with your truth. Sometimes that encouragement involves conviction of sin. Sometimes that encouragement involves piercing our hearts so we may know the truth of who we are. And that encouragement will always include pointing to Christ, the wonderful love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is known only in and through Jesus Christ. Use me in this way. Be with your people in this way, so we may be encouragers for others, as you call us to be ambassadors of your love and truth and word in this world. We pray now, in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, let's stand together now for a reading of God's word. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. We have been taught over the years that whenever we read a book or a story, we are to look for the main character. 
Because by looking for the main character, it helps us to better understand this book, understand this story. When we know who is this book about, who does this story revolve around and major on, the best way for us to read a book or a story is to look for the main character. So I want us to take a moment this morning, and I want us to think through that question here at the book of Acts. And I'll tell you up front, this is probably a trick question, so just think through it for a moment. But the question is this. Who would you say is the main character of Acts? Think through it. You need to write it down, write it down. But as you think about the book of Acts, what we've read so far, what you've read over the years, who would you say is the main character? We might say it's Saul. Again, who will later on become Paul. We might say Saul because he figures so largely in the book of Acts. You think of the book of Acts, you're going to think about Saul, Paul, aren't you? We could say the same about Peter as well because he also is very prominent in this book. What about the church? As we've been saying all along, Luke wrote the book of Acts to chronicle the birth, the growth, and the spread of the early church. We could say Saul, we could say, uh, we could say Peter, we could say the church. And all those answers, they're good answers. They'd be almost right. But what we find, it's the truth of all scriptures, the truth of Acts as well, is the main character of this book is, is Jesus. When we read the book of Acts, we need to keep in mind that the main character is Jesus. This is ultimately who this book is about. This is who the story revolves around. And we think about how this book begins. It begins with the ascension of Jesus. And then it chronicles how Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to his people. Luke tells us then about the birth, growth, and spread, not just of the church, but this is of Jesus' church. As we think through these stories of, uh, of the folks in, in, in the book of Acts, of, of Philip, of Saul, of Peter, they are ultimately stories of Jesus working through his people. It's the stories of the gospel of Jesus Christ being taught, being preached, being shared, being ministered. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that people are responding to in faith and at Pentecost and, and through the ministry of the early church and through the ministry of, uh, of Philip and of Saul and of Peter and, and throughout the book. The main character of Acts is Jesus Christ. Now his name may not always be front and center, but his spirit and his work certainly is. And we see that here in our passage with Peter this morning. Now, the focus has been on Saul for a while now. We've we looked at him from his persecution and ravaging of the church to his conversion on the road to Damascus to his growing in the grace and knowledge of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to his, to his ministry to Jews and, and to Gentiles. But now we're turning the page back to Peter. Last time we saw Peter, he was evangelizing Samaritan villages. Now he appears and says he's going here and there. He's, he's preaching. He's visiting about the countryside and he makes his way to Lydda. And this seems to be very much a pastoral visit from Peter, who is a, a leader in the early church, to the saints here in the city of, of Lydda. Not Lydda, Lydda. Let me say that correctly. But it seems that the gospel had reached this city that was just 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem, set the intersections of the highways from Egypt to Syria, and from Jerusalem to, to coastal Joppa. Remember, if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, it's the Old Testament city of Lod. And it's near where uh, the modern Israel's uh, international airport, the same name, is located. Joe, flying out of Lod. There you go. You've been there. Congratulations. But this is where the city is. 
It's at a major intersection. It, it's, it's, it's important. But not just because of geography, because there are Christians there. And we're not sure exactly how the gospel made it there. We're not told. Could have been from people who had been in Jerusalem and heard Peter's sermon at Pentecost and responded in faith. They went back home again to tell family and friends, let me, let me tell you about Jesus Christ and his gospel. It might have been Philip along with his travels. We're, we're not sure, but however gospel made it there, it had made it. And people were responding in faith. There's a Christian community there in, 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 in Lida. Lida. I just, we'll go both pronunciations this morning. And Peter, as a leader of the early church, hearing his Christian community there, decides to go visit them. And he goes there to, to preach them the whole counsel of God and to encourage them in the gospel. And I think that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing an extension of the previous passage of what we see with Barnabas doing with Saul. And then taking Saul to Peter and James for them to do the same. And that's encouragement, the ministry of encouragement. To encourage him in Christ, to encourage him with the gospel, to encourage him in the preaching of the word. Peter comes to these saints in the city to encourage them in their faith. Here's this outpost 25 miles away from, from the center of Jerusalem. And there are Christians there. And Peter wants to go there so he can encourage them in their faith. Keep up the good fight. Run the good race. He encourages them in preaching and teaching. He has come to encourage them in Christ. So Peter is there in this ministry of encouragement to all the saints in the city. And we hear about one of these saints. We're introduced to a man named Ananias. All we really know of him is found here in this passage. He's a resident of Lydda. He's paralyzed. He's been bedridden for eight years. We don't know what's the cause of his condition. Was it an accident? Was it a virus? We, we don't know. We just know he was paralyzed and bedridden. And it seems that either a Christian or, or several Christians in the city uh, tell Peter about Ananias. And Peter, in his pastoral role, goes to visit this man. And the, the description, the interaction there is very simple and very succinct. Probably more than that, but, but the, the general gist of it is this. We find in verse 34. And Peter says to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. There's two things for us to take note of here. First is this. Peter is Peter. And he does what he always does. He gets straight to the point. And Ananias, it is Jesus Christ alone who will heal you. This is typical Peter fashion. Remember from the gospel, especially in the gospel of Mark, there's no beating around the bush for Peter. He doesn't ease himself into the situation. He doesn't get a, a cup of coffee and sit down with this guy to get to know him. Peter comes in and very quickly gets to the point, gets to the, Peter, to the meat of the matter as quickly as possible. Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. We can well assume that Ananias and his family had tried other methods and healing bombs. They had probably gone to see multiple doctors, maybe even gone to Jerusalem, to the big medical clinic in Jerusalem, if there was one at a time. But they probably traveled to see several multiple doctors. Well-meaning friends probably came by and, and, and had advice for him. So listen, Ananias, I'll, 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 my grandmother's cousin 
recommended you, you drink this herbal tea. It did, it did wonders for her gout. It should help you with your, your paralyzed legs. Remember they came by and said, here, uh, rub this root on your legs. This will do better. Or, or here, douse your body in, 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 this, in this particular oil. Ananias and his family had almost certainly tried all sorts of things to heal him. He's still paralyzed. He's still bedridden. Now Peter, the Apostle Peter, the dear friend of Jesus, now Peter has come to the city and he's come to Ananias' home. And what does Peter do? Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. There's no mumbo jumbo, no or whatever else. There's, there's no rituals. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no miraculous vial oil that comes from an olive tree that grows on the east side of Mount Sinai. It's just simple faith in Jesus. Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. What sounds so like a statement is actually a proclamation of faith in Jesus. It's obvious the Spirit of God has convicted Peter that this man will be healed but he will be healed through Jesus. And Peter, as he's always done, points this envelope man to Jesus for healing. And Ananias is healed because of the work and power of Jesus Christ. This man is healed because there's a great physician who delights to heal his people. This man is healed because the one who fearfully and wonderfully made him knows exactly what is wrong, knows exactly how to fix it, and knows the exact time it should be done. There is no other answer to this healing but Jesus. No rubbing of oil, no mumbo jumbo, nothing else. But Ananias, Jesus Christ will heal you. That is a proclamation of faith in Jesus. Here is Peter. Doesn't know this man from Adam. But in that faith in his God, stands over his man, looks him dead in the eye, and says, Ananias, you are paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Second thing to note is this proclamation of faith leads to an act of faith. He says, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. And then he says, rise and make your bed. It's a proclamation of faith in Jesus that, that, that leads to an act of faith in Jesus. Okay, let's, let's think about this from Ananias' position. For eight years, for whatever the reason, eight years he has been paralyzed and bedridden, which means for eight years he has not risen. Eight years he has not stood up to make his bed. And, and so it could seem that what Peter is doing telling him to do can be uh, maybe even absurdly mean, being a bully. Uh, look, man, I know you've been there for eight years. Why don't you get, make up your bed, you slob? But Peter makes this proclamation of faith. Ananias receives it in faith and acts in faith. Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And what does Luke tell us? And immediately he rose. I think the key word there is not he rose, it's immediately. This was a, a bang, bang, bang play. There was no hesitation. 
Peter spoke, Ananias believed, and he immediately stood up for the first time in eight years. And Luke doesn't tell us this, but I like to think that as soon as he stood up, he did make his bed. Before he went to the kitchen to get himself a drink of water or to take a stroll down the road, because he was healed, he obeyed the apostle. He rose and made his bed. This proclamation of faith in Jesus leads to this wonderful act of faith in Jesus. As we've read through this, we've talked through this, hopefully this story of healing is familiar to us. It sounds familiar to us. We can think back to something else Luke told us before in his gospel in chapter 5. Of this crowded house. And in the middle of it is Jesus and he's teaching. And in the middle of his teaching, the, the ceiling starts to come apart. And being lowered down is this paralyzed man, this, this invalid man. Because his friends had heard that this Jesus, this wonderful Jesus, the one who can heal, is here. He's in the house on the corner of, of, of Maine and Congress. And we can take our friend there and we can see if, they're gonna, if he'll be healed. If this great Jesus will heal him. And they get there and the house is too crowded for them. But the friends, the friends do not give up. They grab their friend. They go up on the roof. They don't care whose house it is. Probably a little rude to tear up their roof, but they don't care. We have to tear the roof apart and tear the ceiling apart to lower Jesus down in the midst of his teaching. And do you remember what Jesus says to this invalid man? I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. We were there that day. There would have been no doubts who had done the healing. It was Jesus. Plainly and clearly, it was Jesus who healed this man. So I think it's interesting to note that Luke is recording the similar stories in the gospel and in the book of Acts. It's almost like he's trying to make a connection here, isn't he? It's almost like he's trying to tell us, remember that story I told you back in the gospel of Luke? Y'all, it's happened again. Whereas Jesus did it before personally, now he does it through his servant, Peter. We're being told it is Jesus alone who can heal in this manner. It is only Jesus who can make a lame man stand up, make his bed, pack it up, and walk. The story from the gospel surely had made it over the years to this town just 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. And now on this day, this story has come alive for Ananias and for the saints in that town and the saints in Sharon through the ministry of Jesus Christ and Peter. This proclamation of faith in Jesus leads to an act of faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ heals you. Now get up and walk. Both times, there's the same reaction. In the Gospel of Luke, we're told that amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. In Acts, we are told the reaction was, and all the residents of Lida, 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 and Sharon, because it's in western New York County, all the residents saw him and they turned to the Lord. Proclamation of faith in Jesus leads to an act of faith in Jesus, which leads to profession of faith in Jesus. 
When, when Jesus healed in that crowded house, people left out of his presence and said they glorified God for what they had seen. They were amazed at what they had seen. They gave all glory to God. Now when Peter does it, or when Jesus does it here in Acts through, through Peter, people walk away. Now they're glorifying God by coming to him in faith. God's being glorified at both times. This time in Acts, he's being glorified because people saw this. People heard about this. They glorify God by coming to him in faith. What a ministry Peter has had so far. This fisherman, who isn't always the brightest bulb of the bunch, at Pentecost, stands up to preach a, a sermon to thousands. He preaches the gospel to thousands. And many of them respond in faith. Then he goes to the temple one day to pray. And there's a, a lame beggar. And he heals him in the name of Jesus Christ. And he sees this man respond in a profession of faith. And gets up and dances around and falls after him. And others see the same as well. Now here, here's Peter. It comes on this pastoral visit to his town, 25 miles outside Jerusalem, introduced this paralyzed man, heals him in the name of Jesus. And people there and in Sharon respond in faith. What an amazing ministry he's had so far. But I want to think through this question. And the question is why? Why did people respond in faith? Now we can understand their amazement. We would be amazed. We can understand their curiosity. We would be curious as well. But what leads them to faith? What leads them to when they see Ananias walking down to the, to the grocery store to get a jug of milk? What, what causes them to go, hey, I'm going to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Why didn't they see this? It's almost like a, a circus sideshow sort of act. Well, the answer is in the healing. This, this healing was done in and through Jesus Christ, and it points us to who Jesus is. As we think back to, to the gospel account, it was only by Jesus' divine authority that that invalid man could get up and walk. Again, we can assume the same with that man and his friends have done everything else, but nothing else worked. And it was only through the, the faith and the persistence of his friends. That this man was healed by the divine healing authority of Jesus Christ. Nothing else had worked. Only Jesus. And the same here with Ananias. Nothing and nobody could heal him but Jesus. Jesus wasn't just an option that happened to work. No, these people understood this is the only way Ananias could rise up. This is the only way he can make his bed. This is the only way he could live his life with two working legs. The people immediately knew that this wasn't an act. This wasn't a scheme. They weren't being had. They knew this had to be divine. It's proof of what the author of Hebrews would say later on in Hebrews chapter 12. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. For your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's talking about the ministry of Jesus. How do we know Jesus is divine? 
because he can heal the invalids. He can tell a paralyzed man to stand up, make his bed, and he does it. Jesus is the only one who can lift drooping hands, who can strengthen weak knees, who can make the lame be healed. He did it in that crowded house, and he does it through his servant, Peter. For Jesus is the one who makes all things, and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. He knows our every ailment, our every illness, our every affliction, and Jesus Christ alone who can do such things. So like Peter points an eye to Jesus, he responds in faith, and people respond in faith because Jesus is at work here. And the wonderful truth for us here this morning at Bethel is that Jesus is still at work. Still at work in and through his church and in and through his people. People are still being physically healed by the great physician. People are still being spiritually healed by the sacrificial lamb. People are still being sanctified into the image of the elder brother. People are still being guided and led by the good shepherd. Jesus is most definitely at work because Jesus is always the main character of the story of faith. It may be our lives, and it may be the life of the church, but we are not the main character. It is Jesus who is the main character because he is our great king, he is our Lord and Savior, and he is the one at work. And if you want proof that Jesus Christ is at work, let me invite you to come to Bethel ARP this Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our prayer meetings. Because every Wednesday evening, our meetings start the same way. These prayer sheets that we have in, in our bulletins, which I, I hope you use, we take these and we pass them around and we talk through it. Is there, is, there any, is there any corrections that we need to make on here? Is there any updates? Are there any additions we need to, to make on these prayer sheets? And then we spend time in prayer. And we praise God because over the years that I've been here, coming up on 11 years now, that I've been here, we've been able to cross off a lot of requests from that prayer list. You know why? Because Jesus is at work. Our prayers have been answered according to the Father's perfect will, that his will has been done on earth as it is in heaven, and we praise him for that. Every Wednesday prayer meeting is a testimony to the fact that Jesus is still at work in and through his church and his people. And we have that same testimony every Lord's Day at worship. Because every Lord's Day we have proclamations of faith. We proclaim our faith through worship, through our confession of who Jesus or who God is and what his word teaches. We have proclamation of the faith and the way we pray and the way we sing and through sermons. Every Sunday, we give proclamations of faith that Jesus Christ is at work. And every Lord's Day, we have acts of faith. Now we come here and we worship and we pray, and we celebrate the sacraments, and we have fellowship. Every Lord's Day, we have professions of faith through baptisms and testimonies of salvation. Look, invalids may not be miraculously healed among us, but spiritually dead sinners have been brought to life. 
and sinful tongues are now able to sing the praises of God. And hearts of stone have now been made into hearts of flesh that rejoice in the worship of the living God. Enemies of this God now joyfully gather together to feast on his word as his, his beloved sons and daughters. Every Lord's Day we have a stampede of children running out the door. And all this is just as miraculous as the healing of the invalids. Because it's just as miraculous that sinners like you and me have been loved by a holy God. Have been redeemed by his perfect son and have been changed by his faithful spirit. So we are now followers of Jesus who love and joyfully delight to worship him in spirit and in truth. Bethel, be encouraged because Jesus is still most definitely at work here in you and me here at Bethel ARP. In two and a half weeks will be my favorite holiday. For every fat boy, we love us some Thanksgiving. But there's so much for us to be thankful for. And top of that list is Jesus. And that he chooses to be at work in us. Here, in you and me. In our proclamation of faith our acts of faith, and our profession of faith. As we think on that, may we do the same as the crowd at the house of Jesus. May we glorify God, filled with awe, because Jesus chooses to be at work in you and me here at Bethel. Praise be to God. Let's pray together.